The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. And look at that. We got a roll. And the te- technical difficulties are behind us. It is August 25th, 2023, and it is indeed a heck of a morning. And look at that. See? Now we're working. We got a roll. The te- te- See? You can hear it yourselves right in the background. Thank you for joining us on the MA Fighting Twitter space. You can hear the show in its entirety shortly thereafter on the MA Fighting Podcasting Network. Appreciate the patience. Hello, everybody. I am Mike Keck. Happy to be here on another Friday. We are knocking on the door of another UFC event. It is UFC Singapore, headlined by Max Holloway versus the Korean Zombie. Will it be the final fight of the just super fun career of the Korean Zombie? It seemed like it was almost a guarantee that it was heading in, but now Zombie saying... We're going to wait and see how this one plays out. It's playing the Joe Lozon card right now, and I respect that. I respect that. But he's going to take on Max Holloway, who's fighting with a pretty heavy heart with the Maui wildfires going on. You could check out his scrum on the MMA Fighting YouTube channel. You could check that out. So he's got a heavy heart. I think a lot of people are either listening to this program or, you know, listening after the fact. Myself, too, just kind of with a heavy heart as well because we found out yesterday, for those who, you know, even from a casual level are a professional wrestling fan, we found out that Wyndham Rotunda, otherwise known, more famously known as Bray Wyatt, passed away at the age of 36 yesterday. Uh, It's being reported by the great Sean Ross Sapp that he had COVID a little while ago and it created some heart issues. And according to Sean, uh, he died of a heart attack at 36 years of age. And I was just, you know, we see these, these wrestling deaths. Like we saw Terry Funk died earlier this week and just an absolute legend, but a little bit older, a lot of mileage on him, but to see Bray Wyatt at, at 36, when he was just getting rolling again with this return, I mean, that one just, just stuns you. That one stunned me. What a great character he was when we got the sort of incarnation of the Wyatt family with, with Luke Harper, who also passed away, and Eric Rowan, and they, they were just awesome. He was cutting incredible promos. The character is unreal. And then... 
they kind of changed direction. He turned into the fiend and then he was just gone for a while and returned at the Royal rumble. And it was just an incredible return and they try to get him going. And, you know, he was, he was on and then he was out, out again for a while. And now this happens. It just sucks, man. It just sucks. So condolences to the family, the friends, everybody in the WWE locker room, anyone that's going to have to perform at, at SmackDown tonight. It's just going it, to, it's got to be super tough. Uh, anyone who was a fan of his, it's just rotten news. Absolutely rotten news, but hard to transition and, and move forward with MMA chatter and, and other chatter, but that's what we're here to do. It's a free for all Friday. So we can talk about UFC Singapore, Max Holloway versus Korean Zombie, sneaky good card. We're going to have a preview show at noon Eastern today. Myself and Jed Mashu to get you ready for that car, which kicks off 5 a.m. Eastern with the prelims, and it'll be capped off by the hallway versus zombie fight. So we could talk about that. We could talk about the big stories in MMA. I know the fallout of UFC 292 is still on a lot of people's minds. So let's get into this thing, and let's hear what you guys have to say about literally anything today. Four on Sniper, get us started. All right. How about Cole? Cole, are you there? Mike. What's up, man? Morning, Mike. Uh, yeah, God, terrible news yesterday. I had the privilege of seeing, watching him wrestle. I watched the Wyatt family versus the Shield at Elimination Chamber in 2014, and that was just an absolute treat. I mean, this guy made me feel things that I haven't felt from – pro wrestlers in a while or maybe ever so just talk i just want you to talk about like how fucking good this guy was why why his legacy is going to live on like this guy is he was different so i just want you to kind of talk about that i know you can go on and on about that so that's all i got have a hell of a day yeah he he was different and i remember like all the the vignettes when they were trying to sort of introduce him and the rest of the wyatt family to the public and it was just super interesting because one, the characters themselves were really just kind of eye opening, and then two, we just hadn't really seen those old school vignettes introducing characters. And when they do it, it's very rare, and it's for something or someone special. And eventually, they showed up and they debuted, and they like beat the shit out of Kane and like kind of dragged him out, and it was just. Man, it was just crazy. And then just the, the promos he cut and, and just the whole thing with the chair and the the lamp, all of it, all of it. The Fiend thing, I mean, it was kind of, I don't know. I, I wasn't a huge fan of it. The Firefly Funhouse was kind of interesting. I remember he had that Firefly Funhouse match at WrestleMania with John Cena, and I was just like, what in the holy hell is this? But I oddly still liked it and enjoyed it. And then he had the the regular match with, with John Cena at one of the early WrestleManias as well. And it was a really good match. And there was that moment where, you know, Cena's got the upper hand and Wyatt's in the corner and he does that thing where he bends his whole body backwards and he's kind of standing on his hands. And everyone's like, what the hell is that? But yeah, he, he's, he's been an advocate for mental health. I, I know that that was a big thing with him. A lot of his promos after he came back were about that. And I believe it was Denise Salcedo uh, who covers the pro wrestling world, does a lot of interviews, does a really good job, uh, posted a clip of Bray Wyatt's like last press conference. And man, I, I highly recommend you just go watch that clip because it has a whole different meeting now, but super creative guy, incredible promo made you feel like something real was happening, even though it's a, performance-based type of thing, and Jesus Christ, man. That one stung. 36. 36 years of age. Just super sad. So, yeah, he'll, he'll have a legacy of being super creative. One of the best promos I've ever seen. Just way too young. Way too young. Dax, hello. Hey, Mike. Uh, I up? got a quick one for you. I haven't heard anything in months uh, about the whole James Krause situation. Is there any update on that? 
I, I know there was an investigation, but just no, no reports, no nothing. Well, uh, no, there's been absolutely nothing. It looked like it was kind of going to be a snowball that was rolling downhill for a minute once this thing kind of got rolling, but yeah, nothing's really come of it. Uh, I have asked. It was very tight-lipped early on. Um, I had acquired a couple of sources about some different things that we were digging into, but you just can't go off of that. You have to go a little deeper. And yeah, really not much. Um, Still being investigated. And that's really it. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that people kind of forgot about, but they really didn't. Um, I know personally, it's been something that I've been pretty much trying to dig my claws into almost all year long. And outside of like the beginning stages of all this, when things are really starting to ramp up, there really hasn't been much. There really hasn't been much. James is completely uh, like out of the MMA game. Uh, I am friends with him on Facebook. He doesn't post anything outside of, hey, here's this new property that I just repaired who wants to rent it uh who wants to sell their house kind of a thing he's back still doing the the house flipping thing which he's been doing for years anyways so yeah it's it's weird how this was the talk of the mma world everyone was trying to figure out what the hell is going on and then it's just been nothing you know we found out what happened with jeff molina and you know jeff hasn't fought since then so yeah, it's still still developing and developing very slowly, uh, and that's what happens with some of these like these things where you, it, it gets to a federal level, and it looks like this one has. So, I mean, the last I I checked is it was going to get pretty nasty, and this is months and months and months ago, and we talked about it on the show when this thing first came out, but a lot of layers to it, and we haven't really peeled any of them back. Everything is, is pretty tight-lipped at this point. So trust me on this. We have tried. We have tried to get more information. But it just isn't there. It just isn't there. Uh, Daniel, hello. Hey, Mike. Can you hear me? Yep. What's up, man? Perfect. Perfect. First size of charm. Uh, happy Friday. Heck of a morning to you. Just wanted to talk about this freaking Clay Collard and Shane Burgos fight. I mean, Jesus, man, what an absolute barn burner for a Wednesday night fight. I mean, damn, I almost missed the fights. PFL putting on their playoffs on Wednesday. That's a whole nother scenario. But um, just kind of want your thoughts, I guess, more on just Clay Collard. I mean, damn, has this guy really had an unbelievable run in the PFL? And I mean, I understand Clay Collard was in the UFC a long time ago. I understand Rob Wilkinson was in the UFC a long time ago. But I think from like a person that was probably in the UFC and uh, just a little more recently, I guess I'd say OAM feels like the most successful fighter from the UFC to come over. Just kind of your opinions on, on Clay Collard's performance and maybe why some of these UFC fighters are just struggling coming over. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, Clay is just... He's, he's always been this guy, always been super fun and exciting. Um, he had a run in 2014 in the UFC. First fight he had in the UFC was Max Holloway. And that fight freaking ruled. Like, that was a banger. Holloway ended up getting him out of there late because it was, you know, his first UFC fight. And Holloway was, I think it was his 18th, or that was college, like, 18th pro fight. But Max is just, he's fucking Max, man. Then he goes out and beats Alex White and loses to Gabriel Benitez and then loses a splitty, which was a really close fight to Tiago Trader. And then he just is gone and he's going on a, a nice little run. He's getting wins on the regional scene, fought a bunch for FFC, went into the boxing world, was having a lot of success in boxing. There were people talking about him being like the boxing fighter of the year in 2020 i think he went five and oh in 2020 or he won five in a row and then lost a couple at the end there and then returns to mma returns to the pfl and he is just so fun to watch like it is a guarantee that this dude is going to be in a fun fight and i remember the first time i interviewed him it was either late july or august of 2019 and at the time, Devontae Smith was 
And I don't even know what's going on with Devontae Smith. That's something I have to kind of look at. He was supposed to fight John McDessie at UFC 241. It was August 2019. And something happened with McDessie. He had to withdraw. I think he got injured. And then Clay Collar was going to step in on super short notice and, and fight com- and fight Devontae Smith. It was the big comeback fight. And I was like, holy shit, Like this fight's going to be awesome. And then something happened. I think it was a some sort of health issue. It ended up being like a positive drug test, I think. It's kind of a weird situation. And then Kama Worthy comes in and Kama knocks out Devontae Smith. There's like two good buddies fighting each other. But I always wondered what would have happened if Clay got back in there and took that fight with Devontae Smith. Like, where would he be right now? But it turns out it probably worked out much better because he got to take the boxing route, get a bunch of wins in the boxing scene, and then ended up signing with the PFL. And he is just loving life right now. Lost a Monfio, lost a weird splitty to Alex Martinez. I thought he won that fight. And now he's going to fight OAM in a, just a super fun final fight in November. That fight with Shane Burgos was incredible. It was incredible. And I know we live in a recency bias world where the shiny thing we saw last is the best. I saw a lot of people on Twitter be like, this is definitely the fight of the year. It's not the fight of the year. It's the best PFL fight probably of all time. It's one of the best. It's definitely the best PFL main event we've ever seen. It's probably a top six or seven fight this year, which is really good because we've had a lot of great fights this year. But yeah, hats off to both those guys. Hats off to Clay Collard. And it's just coincidentally enough, the, the two guys who were in the UFC had a little bit of success, but are now finding much more success outside of it, are about to fight for a million dollars in November. Love that story. Love that story. I didn't watch the fight live. It's just, I cannot watch a PFL event live, especially on a Wednesday, because I just don't have that kind of time. But I woke up early yesterday morning and watched the main event, and it was fucking incredible. Well done to both of those guys. Uh, Let's go to Jameer. What's up, Jameer? What's up, man? Um, I was just asking, um, when do you think the Vulcan Tapuria fight is going to be? That is a wonderful question. Um, I would – because we don't know where – so here's here's what I'm hearing right now. Because this year was kind of a weird year. Remember, the first – three of the first four pay-per-views of 2023 were international pay-per-views. They were outside of the United States. They did Brazil. Then they did Perth for the Volk-Makachev fight. And then they did Vegas for the John Jones return. And then they did London for the Leon Edwards, Kamar Usman rematch. What I'm hearing right now, and this, please, this is, we're all friends there. So I'm just telling you what is being discussed right now. Uh, it's being discussed that January is going to be somewhere in Canada. Um, I don't want, I only preface this because it's got me in trouble before by not prefacing it. But I'm hearing Canada will host, at least that's the plan, to host the first pay-per-view of 2024. Toronto has been talked about. Montreal has been talked about. Uh, Toronto's the, the, the city I've heard the most from about, but it's not done. Like, nothing is done. These are just what is being talked about right now because it's still in the August and things can change very, very quickly. I wonder what the success of the February pay-per-view last year, if they just don't go back to Australia again. Like, I know they're going to Sydney in September, but I kind of feel like February just seems like a place to just go back to Perth again. And I don't know how long that deal is, but if they, I mean, if they're going back to Australia in the first quarter of 2024 and they're going to do a pay-per-view there, you have to do it there. You have to do it there. I know Taporia wants to do it in Spain. Zero chance that happens right now. Now, if Taporia wins the belt... It becomes the undisputed champion. That's another area that they can tap into. But I kind of feel like they're going to give Volca Volca home game here. But I don't know. I don't know what they're looking at for February right now. But wouldn't shock me if they did international, international again. Then did Vegas in March. Maybe they do a second pay per view in March. I don't know. But I would guess February. No insight whatsoever. No, what whatsoever. 
But I would say give Vocal a little more time to heal up. And do it in February. Why the hell not? Seems like a good time for it. And if they're going back to Australia, you got it. Like that's what that's where that fight's gonna happen. That's where that fight's gonna happen. And I cannot wait for that fight to happen. That fight is awesome. That's an awesome title fight. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And new customers to DraftKings can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Uh, Brent, hello. Yep, I got you. Okay, cool. Uh, this is a question that I've heard on uh, other shows and other programs. Just wanted to get your thoughts on the strikers era that we appear to be in in the UFC right now. And that's it. Thank you. The strikers era? Um... I mean, are we in the strikers era? I mean, we, I guess we kind of are, but I feel like we're, I feel like we're kind of entrenched in the grappling era in a lot of respects. Like we've seen, I'm like, I don't know if we're all the way there, but we're like, we've seen Hamza Shemaev just kind of run through people. Islam Makachev being the champion. We're, we're seeing a lot of heavy gra- – like, saw John Jones at heavyweight just kind of grapple people. Pantoja was grappling at, at 25. Aljamain Sterling was the, the champion for a while. I know Sean's the champion now, but I don't know if we're, we're quite in the striking era. Like, even, even if you listen to, like, Ian Machado Gary in his post-fight press conference on this past Saturday – he, obviously, he wants to fight Wonder Boy, but he he said a million times, like, "Look, you haven't even seen my grappling. Yet. I'm the best grappler in the freaking world right now. I might just go mess around and win an ADCC world title in Nogi because I'm that good. I'm the best grappler in the world. Like, I don't know if we're quite in the strikers era. I know we got some guys coming in from the kickboxing world, like Alex Pereira and others, but I don't know if we're quite there. I don't know if this is the strikers era. I feel like." The times before that were the strikers era. It's kind of like we started off in the jujitsu era, then we kind of went to a striking era, then it's kind of been like mixing the martial arts, and now it's more still mixing the martial arts. We're seeing a lot of high-intensity, high-paced, just full gas tank that never fades grappling. And those guys are just super, super successful right now. So it's an interesting thought. I'm sure if I really dug deep that we could find, you know, some different ways to to prove that theory. But I don't know if we're quite in the – like, I don't know if I would look back at 2020, you know, 2020 to now is like, oh, this is the era of strikers. I mean, Yuri Prohashka won the freaking light heavyweight title by submission against Glover Teixeira, for God's sake wild but yeah i mean i i guess this is a discussion to be had it's an interesting time it's gonna get even weirder because now we're like wait till it's like 10 years from now and we get some of these kids who have been training since they were like four five and six they were like nah i didn't want to play baseball i want to be a ufc fighter like this game is going to evolve in a way that i don't think anybody's really all that ready for it's gonna be crazy riley hello uh, two quick questions. Uh, one, what are your thoughts on Giga finally returning? It's been like 
I think almost like two years. Uh, and I feel like him versus Bruce Leroy could definitely be a fight of the night. Uh, and secondly, I just wanted to ask, what do you think of like Marab and Aljo both calling out uh, Ster- or not Sterling uh, O'Malley? Because um, obviously they're best friends, but I don't know. I see Marab saying like, oh, I took his jacket however many months ago. Now let's see if I could take his belt. And Aljo's tweeting, uh, four months, I'll be ready to get my belt back, stuff like that. Uh, do you think there's any a clash and there could possibly be a Marab Aljo storyline uh, down the line? Thanks. Have a- Thanks, man. Yeah, it's good to have Giga back. I mean, he got thumped by Calvin Cater, like real bad. So this is a good comeback fight. Bruce Lee Rye's been on a nice run. A lot of people haven't really been completely sold on this run. But if he goes out there and beats Giga Chikadze, then you got no choice but to be sold on this run. So I think if you're going to come back after a long layoff like this, Bruce Lee Rye's like a really good opponent. I think stylistically it's a good fight for him. He's clearly going to have the advantages on the feet. Bruce Lee Rye will have the advantages on the map, but Giga has really good takedown defense. He's got a pretty decent get-up game, and I just don't know if, if, if Casera's going to be able to get him down. So, I, I mean, honestly, I think Caceres probably watched a lot of that Calvin Cater fight. He's got to be the aggressor. He's got to get in his face. He's got to make this real ugly. And he's got a chance to win. But I think this is a good fight for Giga. He's just going to kick Alex Caceres a lot more than likely. And it should be fun. The Alja Marab thing, look, I get what they're trying to do. But I've talked about this a million times. One, Aljamain Sterling's never fighting Sean O'Malley again. That fight is never going to happen. The only chance that fight happens again is if Aljo goes to 45 and somehow wins the featherweight title and Sean O'Malley wants to win a second belt. That's the only way that rematch happens. Sean has no-sold Aljo from Jump Street. And the big reason why is because of how each, if you look at how each of them individually built up to the moment, Sean O'Malley was very complimentary of Aljamain Sterling, called him the greatest bantamweight of all time. If I beat him, what does that make me? Just kept putting him over. And Aljo kept saying, I'm going to run this dude out of the octagon, and I'm going up to 45, and I'm going to call Volkanovsky. So if you listen to the post-fight press conference, when he was asked about Aljamain Sterling in a rematch, what did Sean O'Malley say? I thought he was going to 45. And then just said, next question. He ain't fighting Aljo again. That is done. He's never going to do it better. Like, why would he take that fight? Sean O'Malley calls the shots right now. He is going to fight Cheeto Vera in the biggest Bantamweight title fight of all time. It is going to sell out. It is going to do better numbers on pay-per-view than the Aljo fight did. It's going to do better numbers on pay-per-view than an Aljo rematch would do. I've said this as well. If I'm Aljamain Sterling... The second Max Holloway versus Korean Zombie ends, I am turning all my focus to Max Holloway. Now, he may lose that fight, but if he wants to get a shot at a title again, that's the quickest way to get there. Go fight Max. Get his attention. If you beat Max Holloway, you're fighting for the title. And then if you want the O'Malley rematch, there you go. As far as Marab goes... I feel like out of everybody in the Bantamweight division, I feel like Marab Dulaos really lost the most on Saturday, even more than Aljo did. Because if Aljo had won, Marab's getting into a vacant title fight. He's in a great spot. Maybe he fights Henry Cejudo, probably wins that fight, and is going to be the Bantamweight champion probably for a long time. Sean O'Malley is probably not going to fight Marab at all. Because why would he? Again, he calls the shots. He's going to fight Cheeto. Tough fight. But if Sean O'Malley wins that, you think he's going to fight Marab? No chance. No chance. He's going to either... He's either going to go up to 45. He's just going to take time off and go fight Gervonta, which is just so stupid, but I get it. You want to make that bag, and that's what Sean wants to do. He's not in the fight game. He's in the fight business. He said it a million times. I feel like Marab lost more than anybody on Saturday. And if I'm Marab, I am the biggest Marlon Vera fan on the face of the planet. 
plain and simple. I am the biggest Cheeto Vera fan that has ever lived. And he needs to pray that Cheeto wins that fight. Because if he doesn't, he ain't getting a title shot. So, yeah, I don't think those guys are going to clash. I know Marab said in some other interviews that he would wait a year to fight for the belt if Aljo wants the rematch and Aljo gets the rematch. But he's not getting it. Is anybody hankering to see the rematch? Like, honestly, are you like, oh, my God, I have to see these guys fight again? No, because he got, he got absolutely run over. Like, the first round was super close, but O'Malley just killed him. It was definitive. This wasn't like O'Malley winning a close decision. O'Malley sparked him. I just don't think that fight happens. And I don't think the Marab fight happens either. I know there's a story with Marab. I think, honestly, Henry Cejudo is in a better spot of, to get that fight. If I'm Henry, I ain't doing shit. If I'm Marab, I'm focusing all my attention on Cejudo. Go fight Cejudo. Try. But if I'm Cejudo, I'm not taking that fight. I'm sitting back and waiting to see what happens in December. Because Sean O'Malley will probably call Henry Cejudo. Just Sean O'Malley's a really good chance to be Henry Cejudo right now. At this point in his career, I think. So, yeah, I, I don't think Alcho's getting that fight. And I don't think Marab's getting that fight anytime soon. I think Marab will get a title shot sometime next year. But I think it's going to be an interim title fight. Because I think once Sean O'Malley fights Cheeto and if he wins, I think he's going to take some time and just wait to see what, what develops. I told you, this division is about to get real, real weird. And some of you are going to like it. Some of you are going to hate it, but it's what happens when you have a big star in the making, and Sean O'Malley is officially a big star. Uh, LaSole, hello. LaSole, are you there? You got to unmute yourself. All right, it's not working. Um, how about Mikey? Do we have you, Mikey? What's up? Everybody, um, first of all, speaking of the Shane Burgos play calling fight, if we're gonna play, if I can play the semantics game for a second, if that's the best PFL main event, sure. But if we're incorporating WSOF history, it can't overshadow the Justin Gaethje Palomino fights. Oh, of course not. No, this is PFL. yeah. We're talking strictly PFL. Yeah, strictly PFL. Okay. Well, just to for some of the people in the space that they've never seen WSOF era you know, PFL, because I feel like it's, it's funny because PFL is is literally like, you know, an NBA franchise or a NFL franchise that changes their name. It's like you're still the same team. It's just you change your name. <laughs> you know what I mean? Still the same management. But I'm just that's why I was thinking about it. It's like, man, that yes, that's a great main non-title main event, but like the Gaethje Palomino, like, heck, just Gaethje's entire PFL career, WSOF career was insane. But, um, but yeah, listen, man, I, and I say this with all – do respect to Marab. I like Marab, and he deserves his title shot. This was kind of annoying how some people on the MMA space was like, "Oh, well, you know, Sean is the only per Sean only got there because the UFC favored him." I'm like, "Listen, man, that can be true, but multiple things can be true." The reason why he got that title shot was because everyone ahead of him either got beat by Aljo or wasn't available to fight, and two, just to uh, you just touched on it, but this is just the fact, man. I don't want to hear. Fans or even Marab complained that he didn't get his title shot when all you have to do is fight your friend. You can't sit out and be like, I don't want to fight my friend who has the belt and then complain that you're not getting your title shot. You can't you can't have your cake and eat it too and be like, well, that should have been me. I'm like, well, it should have been you, but you didn't want to fight your friend. So sorry. Sean O'Malley got his, you know, it's so funny how like a year and a half ago, everyone was calling Sean the fraud. Like, oh, he's just a pretentious guy. He's not really a real contender. And then he beats somebody that everyone thought, like, this isn't even about being a Sean O'Malley fan. It's just just objectively true you know people dog this guy and say you know it's funny everyone was like well if aljo had more time like you know if the ufc didn't rush him i'm like you know what that's true too but you also have to take a look at sean himself even said listen if this wasn't a title fight i probably would have postponed it but he took the opportunity and he was like listen man that they they wanted me to fight this fight at that date so he took it and he took the risk because it's interesting what the narrative would be if sean o'malley lost and then said Hey man, I haven't been able to grapple for six weeks. You know what I mean? And uh, also one note, just to uh, diverge for a second, man. Rest in peace, Terry Funk. Rest in peace, Bray Wyatt. And if you can give me a couple of your memories from them, 
if you have any, that'd be cool too. All right, be kind to one another. Happy fight fight week because we're all going to be up early tomorrow. So, thanks, buddy. Thanks, man. Yeah. Look, at this point, if anyone is calling Sean O'Malley a fraud, you're absolutely out of your mind. Absolutely out of your mind. The dude, whether you scored the Piotr Jan fight for Sean or not, that doesn't matter. None of it matters because in the record books, Sean O'Malley beat Piotr Jan. And if you go back and watch that fight, there's a case to be made that he won the fight. I still think Jan won, but I'm like, I wasn't screaming out of my shoes like, oh, that's a robbery. Now, watching it live at the, like, doing the watch party at the time, I was like, eh, don't really think he won that one. But I did my due diligence. I rewatched it. And you can make at least somewhat of a case that Sean won the fight. It was super close. We learned a lot about Sean O'Malley that night. And what did you think was going to happen? Of course he was going to get a title shot. And he stepped aside, let Cejudo get his shot. And then Sean O'Malley thumped out Jermaine Sterling. Like, the man earned the title. You could talk about the road it took to get there, but when the, the lights were as bright as they could be, he came through in a huge way. And there's the injury and all of that. And here's the thing about that fight that made it so interesting to me. One, obviously the vibes are in the air. Being in Boston, it just felt like Sean O'Malley was going to win. It just, you just could feel it. Everyone in Boston was so comp. Like, Sean O'Malley's not even from Boston. He's from Montana. And now he lives in Arizona. And now, like, he was treated like he was fucking Larry Bird during fight week. It was nuts. And the way, just, it was just vibes. It just felt like Aljo could have the best performance of his life. And Sean could just, all Sean has to do is walk to the octagon. He's going to win. It just meant to be. It was destiny, as Sean O'Malley said. And it felt that way. It felt that way. Despite what the matchup was like on paper. It's a horrible matchup for Sean. And he admitted as such. But it just felt like on that night, in that building, where championship banners are hung in the rafters, where the legendary players played inside the, the old and the new garden, their numbers are retired to the rafters, where some of the greatest moments in the history of sports took place. In the city of fucking champions, Sean O'Malley was due. And this is going to be his night. And damn it, did he do it. And he deserves all the credit in the world for it. And now Marab is in a really weird spot where he's probably not going to get a title shot. And Marab's a super interesting guy. Like, I could go out and be like, just be more interesting. There might not be a more interesting guy in the UFC than Marab DeWalsh. This dude's like doing dives into like lakes that are frozen over and like cutting his face open. This dude's stealing Sean O'Malley's jacket. He's just quietly like one of the more interesting guys in the sport, but he's kind of in the background of Aljo. And it's just a weird place for him. If he's not getting the fight, he's not fighting Sean O'Malley. It's not happening. I'm not saying ever unless Sean wants it. He ain't getting it. It's the sugar show. We are in the sugar show now. He ain't Connor, but he's real close. He is real close. And this title win just solidifies it. And the UFC is going to strap the rockets to him until he gets far into outer space, as far as you can get. Until they send him to Pluto. That's where Sean O'Malley is going if it's up to the UFC. So he's going to be very careful with his matchups, he's going to make as much money as possible. This is the world we live in. I talked about Bray Wyatt earlier. Uh, Terry Funk, Jesus, man. Absolute legends. I remember I didn't really – the first time I saw Terry Funk was – I think it was like 89. And he had the feud with Ric Flair, and they had this uh, – I think they did like a Texas death match or like a last man standing match or something. Uh, in New York and Clash of the Champions. I remember watching it and they just tore the house down. And then I remember obviously he, him coming to WWF as Chainsaw Charlie, which was ridiculous. But the best, honestly, the, the Terry Funk I remember the most was the middle aged and crazy Terry Funk that showed up at ECW because I was a huge ECW fan. Loved it all through high school, midnight, 1 a.m. on the uh, on Univision. In Boston, 
uh, I would either watch it live, the weekly television show, or I would set the, the VCR to record it. And Terry Funk was all over the damn place. And I remember ordering the first ECW pay-per-view, barely legal. And Terry Funk won the ECW world title in a triple th- or he won a triple threat match. And then Raven came down and like beat the shit out of him. And then Terry Funk ended up winning it right before the lights went out. Super cool. Absolute legend. His promos were so ridiculous. The egg suck at you. You egg sucking dog. Ah, Terry Funk. What a friggin' legend, man. What a legend. But the ECW days, I remember him branding Cactus Jack. All sorts of craziness. Like, ECW is, like, perfect for that dude. And we lost a good one. We lost a damn good one with Terry Funk. Uh, Let's try Scott. Do we have Scott? I tried to get Scott. Didn't work. Uh, How about... YVMZ. Hey, Mike. Heck of a morning. You too. Uh, I had a quick question. Uh, do you think... Uh, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on Anthony Smith. If he loses this one um, on this upcoming weekend, do you think this, that's it for him? Or um, I don't know. I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Heck of a morning. I don't know, man. Maybe... I don't know. Depends on how he looks. I, I have I have not liked what I've seen from Anthony Smith as of late. I did not like what I saw at all in the Johnny Walker fight. So now they're they're putting him in position against a guy who he already beats and a guy that is coming off of a pretty tough loss himself. But just hasn't had a great run for Anthony. Like he got the doors blown off him by Magomed Ankalaev. Johnny Walker pieced him up and Anthony looked terrible in that fight. I don't know. I think it's one of those things where we're just going to have to wait and see how this all plays out. Cause I mean, like Ryan Spade, like I'm look, where are the betting? Let me see the betting. Oh, sorry. Right now they have Ryan Spade at minus 125. And like, when I look at that, it just seems like, wow, Ryan's man's only a minus 125 favorite. I figured it would be much more than that. But I felt like Ryan Span was the guy after he knocked out Dominic Reyes. When he comes out and says, like, oh, no, I'm actually, I didn't even actually train before, but now I'm actually training. And then he goes out and gets tapped super fast. So it's a crossroads fight for both guys. But – I don't know. I guess it depends on how he looks. Like if he goes out and has a war with Ryan Span and he loses like a super close decision and he looks good, then no. But if he looks like he did against Johnny Walker, then uh, yeah, not good. Not good. But we'll have to see how this all plays out tomorrow morning. Uh, Four Corner Sports, hello. Hey, Mike. Um, so is it travesty that Aaron Blanchfield isn't versus Tyler Santos isn't the co-main event? Um Two ladies that I feel like was a cold that should be in that position or what are what are they like the the second fight of the of the main card I think it's ridiculous but to kind of piggyback on what the previous caller was saying um, I was gonna like spin it around in the sense of like between Aaron Blanchfield, Giga Chikase, and Anthony Smith who has the most to lose I heard BTL and I feel like I feel like Blanchfield has some type of pressure. Because Rose is fighting next week. Um, I believe it's next week, if, if not the week after. And she is fighting Man and Fioro in, in Paris. Now I feel like if she gets the if she gets the win, in my opinion, I think that you know the UFC could catapult her into a title fight. I mean, unless, you know, the fight is is not pleasant and stuff like that, and Blanchfield, you know. Get gets um, Tyler Santos out of there in like the first, you know, in the first round, or or maybe even under the one and a half. But I just feel that there's a lot, you know, there's a lot at stake in that fight. I feel like even with a win, Tyler Santos is not going to get any, a, a title shot. I think she'll be maybe like one fight away. Um, and I just I had to look back on Zapology. I didn't realize that Anthony Smith hasn't won a fight since he de- defeated Ryan Span. 
which I, th- which I think is pretty crazy. And then lastly, you know, rest in peace to Bray Wyatt. Um, Got to say, one of the coolest, you know, WWE uh, wrestlers of this generation in quite some time. Um, his debut was iconic. And the whole gimmick with the whole Wyatt family, it's sad to see that two out of the three are gone now. Um, rest in peace to Bray. Yeah, for sure. So let me try to remember the three names. You said Giga, Anthony Smith, and Aaron Blanchfield, who has the most to lose. Uh, it's Giga Chikadze by a mile to me. Because like, even if Anthony Smith beats Ryan Spann, like, this is just a fight. This is just a fight, really. So I don't think Anthony has, like, a ton to lose here. I think people kind of think he's out the door. I think his title hopes are gone. Uh, he's on a two-fight losing streak, so I, I think his road – heading into the Ankalaya fight, he was in title contention, certainly. And even, oddly enough, heading into the Johnny Walker fight with where the division was and Jamal Hill being the champion and, and everything, how timing worked out. Like, Anthony Smith was kind of in line for a title fight there, but – I think the door has been closed, and now it's just a matter of can he sh- prove it to himself that he can still go out there and do it. Giga is coming off the long layoff. Giga ain't a spring chicken, man. It's not like he's. It's not like he's a youngster. How old is Giga? Is he thirty-five? Maybe older. How old is he? He's thirty-four. He's thirty-four. Uh, I believe he just turned thirty-four today. No, he's 30, just turned 35 today. He's born in 88. Yeah, he's 35. August 25th, 1988. So he is 35. This division's getting young and deep. So if he wants to make a title run, he's got to win. He's got to beat Alex Casera. So I think, I think the stakes are super high for him. Anthony Smith, not so much. I don't think a lot of people are like expecting him to win. But if he wins, great. And then Aaron Blanchfield, like, yeah, she's got pressure on her, but not really. If she goes out and loses to Tyler Santos, who cares? She's 24. She's got so much time. Unfortunately for the Tyler Santos fans, I think Aaron Blanchfield is going to absolutely run her over tomorrow. I think you're all very aware of how high I am on Aaron Blanchfield. I think she's going to absolutely run over Tyler Santos tomorrow but if she loses like it's not the end of the world you just go back to the drawing board win a couple fights you're right back in there like she's got so much time to get to a title fight and when she gets there and she's going to get there she is going to fight for the title and when she does she's going to win it and when she wins the belt she could be the champion for a real long time if it's now great if it's not she's only 24 plenty of time to get there but I, I do think she's going to win tomorrow, and I do think she's going to be impressive. And I don't know if it's enough to get her a title fight. Because if Rose Namajunas beats Manon Fioro by any way, in any way, shape, or form, she is fighting for the belt. That's it. Sorry, Aaron Blanchfield. Like, Aaron Blanchfield could submit Tyler Santos in two minutes tomorrow. But if Rose Damiutis beats Man and Fioro next Saturday, she's getting the title shot. Aaron's the, the up-and-comer. Rose is the, the certified star. I know there's a bad taste in people's mouths because of the Carla fight. But Rose is a star. She wins, she's getting the shot. Try to etch her in the history books as a two-division champion. They're going to try. You know how the UFC likes to operate. And they're going to put the biggest stars in the biggest spots. So Blanchfield might have to get one more. Scott, hello. Scott. Scott! You're muted, Scott. Can you hear me now, Mark? Yes. I'm hiding. Can you hear me? Okay. What's the Yes, I got you. I got you. Uh, you're breaking up like crazy. We tried, Scott. We tried. If you want to put, if you want to put what your question was in the chat, put it in the chat. Uh, Cole, go ahead. 
Hi, Mike. Uh, since we're going to end up getting this Cheeto versus Sean probably later this year, can you do me a favor and go on record and say that that Cheeto Corey scorecard for Cheeto is the worst of the whole year? Because it is. I think it is. Like, that has to be the worst of the whole year. I think that is worse than anything else that we've seen. I think it's worse than the Paul Felder RDA from a couple of years ago. That's how bad I think that scorecard is. So, just what, like, what's your worst card of the year off the top of your head? Um, that's a bad one. That's a super bad one. Uh, I know the Sabatello Stotts one was like December, but technically it's in the year. That one's about as bad. That might be worse. I know it was December, but it is less than a year ago. Sabatello getting a 50-45 over Rafion Stotts is a terrible scorecard. I mean, that, that might be the worst scorecard I've ever seen. Let me see. There have been... There's been some tough ones. I'm trying. There's one recently that I thought was just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, Steve Rita putting a scorecard in for the Karina Silva Marina Morose fight was pretty weird since that fight didn't get out of the first round. Uh, let me see. It was recent. Was it 292? Let me see. Maybe it was the week before. Hold on. Maybe it was this one. Maybe it was the Luque Dos Anjos card. There was a really bad one. Finish, finish. Oh, fucking Tony Weeks, man. Tony Weeks had a really bad card. I mean, the right fighter would have won, but... The Jacqueline, uh, Jacqueline Amarim, Montserrat Ruiz fight, like those were those first two rounds were about as clear of ten eight rounds as you could possibly get, and Tony Weeks, the boxing judge, gave two ten nines, like not one ten eight. What fight were you watching? Were you even watching the fight? Like that's the, the those are bad cards. Like those are bad cards. But yes, that that's a pretty bad one. That's pretty bad card. We've seen a lot of bad ones this year. Uh, Cheryl, I don't know why you're not getting through. I'm trying, but it's not working. Uh, we'll try one more time. Viking, what's up, man? Thanks for selecting. But I just I have just joined the space and now I've been selected. So thanks a lot for that. Yeah, man. What's going on? Uh, I just want to talk about the Aaron Blankfield and Kyle Santos fight. Uh, I, I have been seeing, watching Blankfield's fights and I just noticed that she's she's quite slow and stable. She gets she gets hits a lot. So, do you think Tyler Santos will capitalize on that and knocks her out? Thanks a lot. And just tell me about tell me what are your opinions if the fight gets on. Thanks a lot. I mean, look, it could happen. We've seen Blanchfield get dinged up from time to time. Like Jay Aldrich had a lot of success against Aaron Blanchfield in the first round of their fight. Um, but I think her striking's got a lot better since then. Like, she went hammer and tongs with Jessica Andrade in the first round. Like, she didn't, I don't even think she shot a single takedown attempt in the first round of that fight. She stood in the pocket and just traded. Now, was it, was it the prettiest thing we've ever seen? No. Did she get hit? Yes. But Jessica Andrade is a hitter, and she just went to war with her in that first round and held her own. I think she maybe she did get a takedown like late in that first round, if memory serves me correct. But anyways, she was happy to stand there with Jessica Andrade. She took it like a champion, and then she just tackled her and subbed her in the in the second round. So I don't think Aaron's afraid to to throw bombs with with Tyler Santos. And honestly, I feel like Santos is pretty solid on the ground. 
Blanchfield is a murderer on the ground. There is nobody in this division who can match her physicality on the mat. There's, there isn't. Valentina can't do it. Grasso can't do it. At least in my opinion. And I certainly don't think Tyler Santos can do it. Now, if this is a, if, if Tyler Santos can keep this fight on the feet and have incredible takedown defense, she's got a real good chance to win this fight, but I just don't see it happen. I think Aaron's going to grab her and take her down and beat the hell out of her. She's so good at it. She's so good at it. And that's the scary thing about Aaron Blanchfield is that she is super good right now. She might be the best 125-pound female fighter on the planet right now. She could be. But what's scary about her is she's only going to get better. She's going to get a lot better. She's only 24. There are holes in her game, no doubt about it. But those are going to get tightened up over, over the next few years. So if you're Tyler Santos or anybody else in this division, and I say this about, say it about Hamzat, say it about Shafkat, say it about Ian Gary. If you're going to fight her, fight her now. Because if you fight her in two years, you ain't beating her. So it's going to be an interesting fight. If it goes to the mat, it's Blanchfield's world. If Blanchfield, hey, Mike. You, yeah, go ahead. Hey, What's up? Heck of a morning, Mike. Uh, just a random one for you. So I saw a random fight that was uh, that's supposed to go down in a few weeks on my timeline on Twitter the other day. And it was between Natan Levy and a guy by the name of Alex Reyes. And I uh, looked up Alex Reyes because I didn't recognize him. And it turns out this man has not fought since September 16th of uh, 2017 when he lost to Mike Perry. So when him and Natan fight, they will be fighting on the six-year anniversary of his last fight, which was a UFC debut. Uh, I was curious to if there was a fighter who has had a longer layoff that was under UFC contract. Uh, if you knew of any fighter, could you let me know? Uh, yeah, it's it's the Alex Reyes story is pretty wild. Um, and if the name sounds familiar, the last name anyways, it's because it is familiar. He is the brother of former UFC title challenger Dominic Reyes. He's the older brother. We have not seen Alex Reyes fight since he made his debut against Mike Perry and just got obliterated. But he's been dealing with a lot. He's, uh, he's had a lot going on. I'm trying to remember exactly what happened. I want to say it was like a, I don't know if it was like a spine. It was a spinal infection. He had a spinal infection and took a long year, took a long time to come back from that. Um, I know my man, Nolan King spoke with him and when he was diagnosed with this, they didn't like, they thought it was so bad. They didn't, they, they didn't even think he could, would ever be, even be able to walk again, let alone fight. So yeah, I don't remember like that long of a layoff where someone was just, I had one UFC fight and then six years later, without anything in between, have another UFC fight? I can't remember one. I'll have to ask Jose about that because he's got the elephant's brain when it comes to dates and weird statistical anomalies, but I'd be stunned if that's not the longest. Yeah, and you're right. It'll be the legit six-year anniversary for Mike Perry fight when he fights the Tom Levy. It's a tough one to come back to, but... Good on him. Good on him. And we'll see if he can turn things around for uh, not just himself, but for the Reyes, for the whole Reyes family here. For the whole Reyes family. Let's see. But all right, everybody, we are done. Uh, I, again, appreciate all the patience early on with the technical issues. But we got through it. We persevered. And we battled. And we did the damn thing. Uh, we'll do the damn thing again at the top of the hour. Uh, Jed and I will preview UFC Singapore. Live preview show, noon Eastern time, so you can join us for that. We'll answer more of your questions, sneak you a good card. Uh, and then tomorrow, 5 a.m., baby. 5 a.m., we're getting after it. UFC action. I don't think there's going to be a people's pre-fight show for obvious reasons <laughs> this time around, but uh, I'll be up and at them on the desk for MMAfighting.com. Uh, at 5 a.m. Eastern tomorrow. 
going to get to bed nice and early and get excited for a sneaky good UFC Singapore card. So thanks for tuning in this week, whether it's live or on the pod network. We'll be back here on Tuesday, 10 a.m. Eastern. We'll do it again. Until then, everybody, have a great rest of your Friday. And as always, have a heck of a morning. Media Podcast Network. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.